The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hello to all of you on a somber Thursday evening. And it still seemed a little early to go back to a business as usual, just straight NBA analysis pod. So we wanted to try and do something a little more positive. Uh, Danny, I talked about this last night of what we could possibly do and what the right tone would be. And I thought what I wanted to talk about, especially because I'm really going to be missing it for a long time. I actually got like pretty upset about that as I was thinking about not having basketball for so long. But we basically wanted to talk about why we love basketball and so we put together a list of some of our favorite games and players and obviously this is just totally subjective and has a lot of our own personal experience interjected but I I thought it would just it would feel therapeutic for me at least to just talk about and remember some better times and to just think and talk about something that's just about exclusively positive so uh well and 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 those who want to hear us be more negative be ourselves let's say i mean you'll get that i mean we we have you and i have already put together a pretty impressive list of different things that we wanted that we want to do and some of it will also be i was something i want to do is take some of the topics that we've done maybe not before but do them in a little bit more depth so instead sometimes people say like in the point guard ranking somebody talked about how we kind of skipped by pascal siakam well we can definitely explore the studio space now (laughs) that will that will not be a problem for at least a minimum of 30 days and i'm guessing it will be meaningfully more than that and another part of this i mean for for my perspective on this you can also listen to the thinking basketball podcast i did recently with ben taylor is another thing that going through this exercise reminded me is and i I think it's it's really interesting considering our our friendship and our you know our podcast relationship that you and i have basketball played a very different role in our lives like before now like now it's very similar but before that and i think that it's you know in some ways i think that tells a different and more complete story of just the way this can work where for you it's really in the fabric of your life from from a much younger age whereas for me it was not really around much until i was in college so yeah i mean the the biggest thing i wanted to talk about just is why why i love basketball what why basketball is so awesome but uh, denny what's what's your answer to that especially because you didn't like grow up playing the game from a young age i just want to hear that from you i grew up with a lot of different sports i mean i was a, a for for playing mostly soccer though i did tennis and a few other things and i you know like played basketball pickup and like you know in grade school and all that type of stuff but in, i was never actually on an organized team at any level and i think the reason why i i i really did fall hard for for basketball almost immediately like really when I started watching games at UCLA was because it tapped into something that I didn't know I was missing which was the right mix of team and individual so I 
I came from, you know, I, I think soccer is probably the sport that I'm most closely identified with. And in soccer, a, a, a huge individual player, a great talent, can make a big difference. They absolutely can. But not only can they be enhanced by teammates, by scheme, by everything else, but they can also really be overshadowed by strong opponents or a team or anything like that. And, you know, football's, a, football's another example of that. And baseball, when you consider how few people are involved in the primary action on a given play, you know, there are the, the eight other fielders, and then there's and then there are all the players that aren't hitting. And basketball, both then and actually, I would say it's been enhanced over time, it strikes that right balance where if you think about the NBA, the best players are are usually on really good teams because they help elevate them. And that I, I use this stat about how you know championship teams have overwhelmingly had players on them who had already won an MVP by that point. Actually, the um, I believe the Toronto Raptors broke that, but it's very rare for that to happen. And so that's the right balance to me where star players make a huge difference, but scheme and teammates and everything else really does matter. And I mean, you could talk about, I mean, Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr on the Warriors, Jason Kidd and Prunty to Budenholzer on the Bucks. Like there are ways that coaching hey, hey, all that but matters. Danny, we said, we said we weren't going to be negative. No, no, but it's <laughs> like it, it, as juxtaposition it counts. And so like that balance of star and team and and players and cohesive whole basically as soon as i got it that's what made i think that's what made basketball the easiest sport for me to write about too for me i falling in love with it as a player first i love it because to play you have your own individual battle but you're also in a team context as well you also have to work with everyone else but you do have your individual matchup that you can win and sometimes even if you lose you can kind of feel okay that you at least you know did more to help your team than that guy who was guarding you uh and was talking all this crap to you and I think just that mano a mano aspect of it, where there's almost a game within a game, but you also have to work with teammates, and ultimately you can't get sucked too into that one-on-one -on -one battle, but it still matters because there's only five players. That, I think, is just, that's one of the things that I loved about it. I mean, individual sports are awesome, but there's just not, like, enough complexity in individual sports for me. So, but I do like the aspect of just really pitting yourself against another person and your strengths and your weaknesses and you just and that's one thing that i really love about basketball is it really lays bare everyone's strengths and weaknesses and there's just such a mental component of both of those aspects well, and, and and to build into that i mean we're, we're mostly talking about five on five here but something else that's great about basketball is as long as you have an even number you can play in a lot of different groups you yeah. know and, when and I you play... can it's the easiest thing to just go practice by yourself too i mean i'm probably i'll probably try to find a playground at some point here where there's nobody there and just go and, and uh, shoot some shots up. It'll be really th therapeutic for me. Get some shots up. Boy, man, it's, it's, it's been a you while. Sh you, you should go back to that park where we had the photo shoot. <laughs> yeah, I, only if there are photographers there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the other thing, though, that I just love about it is, is there anything else in society where you show up somewhere for a pickup basketball game with four people that you probably don't know you have to just work out with them who's going to be on the team maybe someone has next you have to get them to pick you up you just i mean there are a lot of people who just don't like to talk to other people at all you just have to go up to person ask who's got next try to uh make it look like you actually can play enough so that they'll pick you up and then when you get out there and you're working towards a common goal with four people that you don't know probably you maybe even never met before if you're at your local park or your health club or whatever going against another five people who 
you're also in competition with you also have to agree with those other people on things like the rules and foul calls and you know there's a, a level of civility required at the same time as you are really competing against these people obviously things can get heated sometimes but you need to find a way to all exist within the construct of the basketball court together with a bunch of people that you don't know and that you're working with and against i mean there's i really can't think of anything else in society that's like that. i mean some other countries you can do that with pickup soccer sure but but basketball i think is even you know a little bit more kind of physical and individual and maybe i haven't played a lot of pickup soccer but more conflict causing than soccer is but i mean that's that's just really awesome like to just be able to show up and interact with other people that you would never and, and a lot of times too it's people from different walks of life have different jobs different backgrounds than you would have there's nothing like it well and like if you move into an area it can be a way to connect with people and, absolutely and, and like i mean i i think back to i mean you've played a lot more pickup than i have but i used to be periodically i'd be a part of a game in berkeley and there were you know basically it was like i knew two other people at least in the beginning until i started playing more often and then you would know them through basketball and then it was changing around and whoever was on your team that's fine you know you, you play with that you you figure out what they what they can do and what they can't do and sometimes you're getting your butt kicked in the matchup and then you either have somebody else take it or you do better yourself or something like that and then the other part i want to turn to is and this ties in a little bit with what i said before is as an analyst because i spent i've spent a lot more time as an analyst than a player is i love the, the way that basketball evolves and that it's not a a puzzle that is solved once and i mean there are adjustments in baseball but i mean part of the reason why baseball was such a natural path for sabermetricians and everything else was because of the consistency and you know that it's 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 a pitch pitcher throwing a ball to a batter and there isn't a lot else basketball the evolution never ends and a lot of times it I, i've talked about this with ben golliver before it everything feels everything feels inevitable in hindsight but it doesn't at the time and how those how those things change and how with the right individual talent whether that whether we're talking about like a specific player skill set or just the collection of talent you can beat almost any approach too so something that is good now won't be great against everybody and that you know that styles makes fights element of basketball even at the highest levels even if it involves the best of the best is is so exciting so even even something that feels inevitable with very very few exceptions isn't a lot of times people who knew me in previous walks of life but not that well will say hey you know like you were a lawyer for a long time and then you know you just started analyzing sports and so the implication will be like well you know you're doing this thing that in theory was really intellectual and now you've moved to like something trivial. And what I tell them is like, oh, contraire, I actually think that analyzing basketball and why teams win and lose games and which which players are good and how teams and players can get better, that is actually like the most intellectual exercise, the most interesting intellectual challenge that I've encountered in my life. That I've I've there's nothing in my life I've ever encountered that I've found more interesting than that from just a purely intellectual standpoint and i love it too because at the end of the day there's a winner and a loser right like you actually you find out whether you are actually right or not you can always find ways to get better i mean how many other walks of life are there where it's just very difficult to even determine like who's better and yeah it's kind of difficult for us to determine you know the fifth or sixth best small forward or something like that but generally you find out who the best teams and who the best players are and you can argue about it but when you consider that you know you're arguing within a much smaller set of facts 
to where you can rationally make certain arguments about teams and players because there's so much data there's the games there's the stats and there's the actual results and and i i love that aspect of it because you're always you can't be a fraud at least trying to do what we're doing like you have to always be working to get better and if you don't put the work in it shows i I just love every aspect of that yeah accountability is something that i i truly love and there are a lot of other fields that i've worked in where that is not the case and there there are there are a million explanations (laughs) oh oh, what uh what fields have you worked in by the way uh none come to mind yeah and and, i mean so so the (laughs) on the account like if something you know if a bill doesn't pass it's there are a million different reasons why that might be the case and and sometimes you can either the best the best things don't work or there can be uh, things change so quickly and and everything else. But the other part of that, and I I was talking about this with somebody recently who was asking about like, what, what are the parts of your job that you're surprised by in a positive way? And one of the things that I said is the balance of something being predictable, but not being able to be predicted, but not predictable. And so that can be player development, that can be team success. And so, you know, we'll 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 do our over under predictions and we'll catch up on those or the player rankings and everything else or the crystal ball like we just did. But as much as we know and as much time as you and I sink into this and how we all and we take our analysis exceedingly seriously, there will always be things that surprise us. And there will always be there will be players. I mean, to me the one one that I tell people with this sometimes is Victor Oladipo. Like Victor Oladipo becoming an all NBA player in seventeen eighteen dumbfounded me. Like I, I thought I had oh, a yeah. good, I thought I had a good sense of his game. I thought Thought that you know when the, when the Pacers made that trade, I had a kind of an understanding of why they did it and everything piece together. And then all of a sudden, he's just completely different. And the other one that I bring up there, and I actually, if you could dig it out, it's hard to find because it got a real GM servers kind of got changed around a little bit. I wrote this super long tirade one time about how the Warriors cut Jeremy Lin before they got to see him practice after the lockout because to save a little bit of money, which they used on an offer sheet for DeAndre Jordan. And the idea behind that, which I didn't articulate then as well as I do now, is they didn't know that he'd gotten a lot better. They cut him before he was able to practice with the team because they had those rules during the lockout. And every year, they're you know they're not usually as extreme as Victor Oladipo. Those can happen, and, and you know sometimes it's on the negative end. Maybe somebody lets their body go, or unfortunately, you know, it's an injury that that saps some of what made them special. Like that is a part of it. But that balance of being able to be predicted but not being totally predictable is extremely fulfilling and and makes it makes me so much more excited to do this because it it does end up being i would say more positive than negative other than health stuff which i can compartmentalize differently and because you know that means that you always have to keep watching you know like this jason tatum surge like that that surprised me and i've been super excited when i will have to see if it continues later on but i I mean there's a million examples like jimmy butler or pascal siakam or brandon ingram this year i mean yeah it's always trying to predict those and then you know being surprised i mean that's that's always awesome and also part of something i love about doing doing the show with you is that we're both very comfortable admitting that we were wrong and talking about why and i think that's that's extremely important in this world because there are lots of reasons. And the more simplistic, hey, I thought player X was going to be bad and he was good. You know, some of that stuff, like we try to get into the nitty gritty about why we're wrong. I've talked so much on this show about like my mistakes with Dragon Bender and, and Dante Exum as prospects and how it, I hope it made me better as analysis and might have fueled other mistakes. One thing I will add though, this is this is just an aside. And it's funny, it used to periodically come up in podcasts. I have actually been in one business that I consider 
more intellectually interesting than this. And it's not one of the ones that people would expect. And that's the ticket business. And for me, some of that's the econ major stuff that it's, I was, when I was managing this, when I was managing a company, I was doing, you know, hundreds of micro markets that were adjusting, let's say every day, but it was really more frequently than that. But it wasn't as fun and it wasn't as fulfilling. So it was more intellectually interesting, but I also burned out after a year and left. So it's a little bit different. So we do have to take a break now, and I do mean that. We have to because we, although I somewhat regret having to run ads right now, we do have to actually keep the lights on here. We do still appreciate you guys massively for listening, and I realize a lot of you, you know, just may not be able to listen as much now just if you're not commuting, if you're staying home or whatever, but if that's the case for you, you want to support us, you can still set your podcast player to download us every day. We would really appreciate that or uh, visit our sponsor links, even if you are in an economic position where you're not necessarily able to buy something give the advertisers an understanding that people are still listening to the show and you know when we have better times ahead which there will be that our listeners are still going to be there i i certainly hope that's the case and we really appreciate your support with everything uh so we'll be right back so man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique mattresses every sleeps differently and helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice 
heavy material that'll keep you warm. It's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us part two of this which i thought would be really fun is to just uh, break down a few of our favorites from our time as more even basketball fans maybe than analysts so i will start here my favorite game that i've ever watched and so i came up with three candidates one was game six of the 2013 nba finals one was game five of the 1993 eastern conference finals bulls knicks uh and the last one is game six of the 2016 western conference finals the the clay thompson game only that was the only one uh that happened when i was really a full-fledged media member i was kind of dipping my toe in the media waters back in 2013 but those are the three that really came to mind for me i i do you remember any of those games Sammy? I, mean, I can talk a little about why oh why i remember, they resonated I, remember so much the, with I mean obviously you remember the the clay game yeah and i remember and, the 2013 uh, finals as well yeah I mean, we, was... we actually by the way if you need some more content we did an episode of that oh was that stitcher that i think was, that was huh? stitcher yeah well maybe we can do we'll we're gonna we'll probably do some more going back and watching classic games that, and talking about them but uh yeah i'm guessing probably since we haven't been doing that for a while nobody's still subscribed to stitcher premium well um, if you if you do subscribe though i think it's still available yeah i, I mean i would encourage people to subscribe to other stuff that <laughs> that uh that actually helps us at this point sure. but um so the 93 East Finals are probably the game that a lot of people don't remember. Knicks got the number one seed that year. The Bulls had just had won the last two championships. Knicks had maybe either that year or the year after was statistically maybe the greatest defense of all time. And Knicks win the first two in New York. John Starks comes in with that lefty dunk along the baseline in game two to seal it over three Bulls. And looks like the Knicks are going to just win the series very easily. Jordan shoots three of 18 in game three. Bulls still win at home. He drops 54 in game four on just an incredible diet of shots. I mean, that Knicks team was so good. Like he was getting nothing at the room. It was all just impossible mid-range fadeaways. He puts up 54 to tie the series and come back. Jordan is a triple-double in game five. And that was, of course, the Charles Smith game. I remember watching it. I had just gotten back from a vacation i was like basically we're listening to the first part on the radio i'm like telling my dad to floor it so we could get back and watch the end of the game and so i did end up actually seeing bj armstrong's three in the corner that put him ahead uh with i think about a minute left and then the charles smith play but that was just that game was such a war and i just had never and the bulls ended up winning it in six but like that game the level of intensity in that game and just what it meant was off the charts i mean chicago new york they played a seven game series the year before it looked like the the knicks had been better in the regular season 
And the Bulls, like, it really didn't seem like the Bulls were going to pull through in that series after going down 2-0. It always looks inevitable now. But that was, that game probably was the closest they ever came to losing a series uh, once they started winning the 3 piece. So, so that was awesome. Is, you guys, is that, yeah. Is that the same game that came on when we were together one time and I started making fun of how terrible it was? No, that was the 54-point uh, game. That okay. was game four. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, we were watching that maybe like 2014 or something. About yeah, something, something like that. Like that. Uh, you feel free to go back into some of those if you want. Yeah, but. no, no. That's I mean, people people know Game yeah. Six in 2013 and Game yeah. Six in in 2016. Did you have another one that really stuck out to you? I have I have a couple. Uh, so yeah. uh, the way I separated it, it was my emotional favorite game, like as kind of separating out fandom, and then the best game I ever attended in person. And so the my favorite game ever emotionally, and this will not be a surprise to people who can figure out the chronology of my life, was the UCLA Gonzaga game. In that, which yeah, it's was at, it's Adam Morrison's uh, favorite game. Ever, Adam Morrison's favorite too. game ever, and that I mean is is the quintessential for me. Remember, I was a fan for a very short period of time before I became an analyst. I started covering the league with a credential during law school, so it was really about a five year span. But it just so happened that three of those five years, UCLA made the Final Four, and. That game was, that was the Sweet 16, and it was, so I'll I'll tell two stories with it. One is, that was during finals at UCLA, and... It was yeah, the the quarter system sucks. By the way, oh, in it's case, it's in case dismal. You, you guys did absolutely know that. dismal. And, and so there was this hilarious dynamic. I mean, UCLA is is school that like does care about basketball, and but it, not universally. And I mean, was that was the first that was the first year what of, of what became a Final Four year. And when UCLA won that game, I'll refrain from using we, even though I do with my school. Uh, like half of the dorms went insane because it was late. It was like I think 10 p.m. Pacific. And then the other half was just ballistic because it's like you woke us up during finals or whatever was going on. And then so it was this really funny argument. But then the other part is it that game in many ways haunts me more because of it. Like, so I had a final uh, labor economics final at 9 a.m. the next morning. And that game occurred at Oracle Arena in Oakland. And I just went, yeah, maybe it's possible to go. But, I mean, I'm going to be totally gassed. It's a final. It's important and all that. And so I have a ticket. Hey, hey if, if it was me, I stayed up the night before every single one of my finals. I know. So did cause, I. Because I, I did no work before that. Right. Exactly. And so I... I had a ticket to the game because then I was basically I bought you had to buy tickets in bunch to in pairs because it was depending on how many games it goes and I knew I was going to be able to go to the Elite Eight game if we made it which UCLA ended up beating Memphis and that so I have a ticket to that game the best game in my like emotionally that I that I ever saw but I didn't go and one of my good friends who periodically listens to the show Hey Chuck um did go and did take the final with me and so he he periodically who, who just, got a better grade. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I didn't talk grades that much with it. I, I'm guessing. I'm guessing it was close. Both of us didn't do particularly well. I, I, I'm imagining you like not talking about your grades to your friend because you're just like low key, so insanely competitive that you would like if they'd gotten better than you, you would have just been driven insane. Yes, that that is also largely true. <laughs> and and it's um and and so I think that. You know, so it is that weird dynamic of it's like, yeah, it was it was amazing and it was an unforgettable moment, but also like I could have been there and you know, my friends who were there, that's that's an experience for them. But then the other one is for me, what I would say in, in some ways, maybe more so f- memorable than favorite was Game Seven in 2016. And what yeah, I kind of fi- finals, game finals, seven, finals, Game mean, Seven, yeah. 26, yeah, because the Warriors played multiple Game Sevens and there were other ones in the in the playoffs. But we were actually sitting together for that game, and the, I mean, beyond the indelible moment of we were on the far side seeing LeBron running down the floor, 
and I think both of us said like he's probably going to get to this and and like that sort of moment for me what was so interesting was especially because I had covered a lot of those players for a large portion of their careers to see the nerves that were on the floor that that game and just these players who were so battle tested almost everybody in that series had been in a finals before and they were nervous like that part of the reason that fourth quarter was so terrible is because the nerves were getting out and they were playing better defense than offense and there are a bunch of other things but at, like kind of as a, somebody who enjoys the human condition seeing that in person was so fundamentally different because you know it kind of it, I, I spent time thinking in that game about legacy and thinking about stepping up for the moment like all those kind of like talk show narratives that I don't think about as much because it was just all right there and it was and you know you could and I mean the Durant thing was I mean obviously I had been involved tangentially in that for a long time so you're thinking about all those kind of things in the moment and that was extremely rare for me to be kind of in that and to know kind of like we did in that OKC series to know how big a deal something is at the moment it's happening is a really cool thing and that's sometimes even in basketball that that doesn't always happen and I mean yeah we talked about how that like how that game before it started like what game if you ranked all of the games in NBA history of like how important is this game before the game started uh like that game might be number one in terms of just the historical impact of like legacies in the NBA yeah it's absolutely fantastic so those were those were the two that that stood out to me I mean I could most of my other like favorites would probably involve UCLA I mean one of the other ones I thought of was when we beat LSU in the first final four to then get our asses kicked by Florida but it was that that LSU game was really fun and I was like three rows off the floor and got to see in in that football stadium got to see got to see my school win a final four game which was pretty awesome uh, so yeah, so all all that kind of stuff um, was was very cool. But so the, those were those were my nominees. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if I had to pick one, it probably would be uh, that game six, Oklahoma City Warriors. Um, I've watched that game three. One. I've watched that game three times now. Um, once live, obviously, um, and then I watched it again. I can't remember what. Oh, I watched it on the one year anniversary, and then I watched it again when I was writing the book. Yeah, I watched that game actually. My wife was the maid of honor at a wedding that that was that night. Oh, that that's was like, right. And so I'm like watching the game on my phone, like under, as like, the, and I, I didn't really know the people that well. I'm like watching the game on my phone under the table, but like all the other dudes at the wedding were like totally ignoring it too and like watching it with me on my phone. And so eventually I was just ordered to like go home and watch the second half by myself. <laughs> That that yeah. fit, all and, of that fits beautifully. Yeah. Well, and obviously, like we needed to like do a pod immediately afterwards because it was such an epic game. Um. All right. Uh. Favorite player to watch ever for, of course, having grown up in Chicago in the nineties, it was Michael Jordan, and so I had to really agonize over this one. Ultimately, I think I I'm gonna go with Stephen Curry though because I think like Jordan's style was just a little bit too individualistic for me, whereas Curry just moves without the ball more. He just played in more of a team centric concept and i just thought he's a little bit more aesthetically pleasing to me than jordan much as it is sacrilege for a chicago kid to say that about jordan his he would be my number two i thought about it more of a macro sense and for me uh as you know again going back to the soccer thing i've always loved passing and i was I, I got into the sport too late for magic. So, I mean, there there could be an argument if I had had the, the arc that you did that it might have been magic. But for me, it is LeBron James. And LeBron and I, same, I mean, not the same school, obviously, but same high school graduating class. I watched him play in high school and then watched it go. And it wasn't the scoring or the dominant physicality. It was just that he would see things. And I was just, it, like, it helped me kind of 
try to have to see the game differently because I'm like, how the hell did he know that was coming or whatever else? And so that part of LeBron has always been so there. I mean, Chris Paul is obviously one of my favorites as well. And Steph, Steph would be my number two. And, you know, being able to cover his entire career and be able to see so many games in person has also been like in terms of most value added in terms of my own life for for that would would probably be him. But yeah, it's it's it, it's a hard list, and there there's so many just players that I like right now that I genuinely love watching. Favorite situation in a game? Like, what's the <laughs> what's the thing that can happen in a game that just like makes you the happiest? Maybe it goes back to the UCLA Gonzaga one, but I love a frantic attempted comeback. I mean, when you have to, I, I've, I use the phrase a lot yeah. on the NBA cast of the perfect game, and that that feeling, or, or even when one comes out of nowhere. Like I was thinking about that one where was I think it was Indiana Boston a couple of years ago where like Boston created a turnover out of nothing and then got another chance when it looked like it was over. Yeah. And but those so, frantic- 2016 Warriors would have that a lot too. That, oh, that's a yeah. great. I, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a great one because it's like especially when it's a great team and especially when it's a team that's been dominant and then all of a sudden you can tell that they feel that their hard work is like slipping away and so their their effort can get and we saw that from them so many times that year because they're going for 73 wins and they were down and late in so many games where they're just like all right they're getting so frantic and it's like all right is this going to help them or are they going to go like over the edge and just completely lose it in terms of their intensity and they they had that in them to do that too (laughs) as it turned out but uh i mean that team won basically every important clutch game until the very end the last game that they finally didn't it was it was incredible but yeah i mean i sorry to interrupt you but you got me like fired up i was like (laughs) yeah that is that is awesome so the the ucla gonzaga game that happened i don't really remember that game that well oh yeah we we could do what we could do (laughs) yeah so that UCLA was down god I want to say like 16 in the second half and, yeah and just got every stop and started actually scoring baskets and then got a crazy steal yeah that I mean I was gonna post that in the David Aldridge thread today of like things that things that from your memory but it's like yeah that that's what that game was for like 10 minutes <laughs> yeah for for me like if you watch the NBA cast you'll hear that I'll say I'll say I'll be like uh-oh and I, I say that when you can tell there's a guy who has a runway going to the basket and you can tell there's also someone there who might be in position to try and stop him and especially if it's someone who can go up and you know has like that big dunk ability I mean that's that's the thing that just drives me to just reach like another level when I'm watching a basketball game and just like that makes me almost want to want to get up like when you know Donovan Mitchell misses the first the floater and then he's like you can see that he's gonna rise up and dunk it on like four guys or you know Sabonis last year when he put it on Embiid in that game really I mean there's been a, a ton of awesome dunks that we've seen obviously on the NBA cast but I mean they're like when you just feel that like all right this is gonna happen but we don't know what's gonna happen that's like the moment for me that uh but your answer was actually better mine <laughs> mine, mine feels kind of mundane in, in comparison um your uh the most awesome play that you've ever seen in basketball at any level i interpreted this as a scene in person and i think you probably did as well and yeah i'm no i i mean i i actually was thinking about it uh as any play tv i mean i I think you had to be watching live at least but yeah uh, no mine was in person too but i i was including the whole universe personally Um, because this was just so awesome so for me but some of it is also the visceral experience being there live like you can appreciate it in a different way so i mean some for some people who were in the building it probably would have been the lebron the lebron block that was because we saw him run full court like that was seeing that but for me it was a play i've actually brought this up a couple times and i'm still waiting for somebody to pull the video i can't do it for some reason when i was in college and i swear that 
this happened, in, at least in my brain. Trevor Reza, then a freshman in college like me, dunked over Mike Jensen, who was this like six foot seven Washington center. I bring this up periodically to Kevin Pelton. And he basically dunked over him. I think he pushed off a little bit, you know, like not full Tom Chambers, but in the in that range. And my brain couldn't process it. Like I, I, I didn't know that like I, I you know, it was kind of one of those like maybe you'd seen highlights. Is, is this and, the play you've told me about this play, right? That you've like desperately looked for a clip of it yeah because what happened was like it was during this time when the pac-10 like wasn't really doing a great job of like logging their video like it's not on synergy i've gone through various different things over the years i figured out which game it took place in but yeah it's it, it was it was crazy and the like the crowd just like basically just started screaming his name throughout the next like few possessions which was also weird for Polly. it was insane and that was it was a very special moment and it was like you know my freshman year of college that's when i fell in love with basketball to see somebody do that um was was amazing so for me i swear to god this really happened I, i'll give you a little background um in the Chicago area, they always, I'm sure there's a lot of places like this too that have Christmas basketball tournaments that happen like right after Christmas. One of the most prestigious ones was the uh, Proviso West tournament in Chicago. Proviso West was like in our conference, like usually the best team in our conference. A lot, a lot of really good basketball players have gone there. Robert Covington most recently went there, I think. And that's right next to Proviso East too, where a ton of a ton of guys have gone. Shannon Brown, Sterling Brown, um, Michael Finley, etc. But at this, this tournament, it was the last game of the night. I went there with my friend. I was a junior. I wasn't playing at all on the varsity, but I just went there to just go and watch the game. And I can't even remember who they're playing. There's a high school called Dunbar, which is uh, in Chicago. And one of the things that I always was struck by is that a lot of the schools in Chicago, I think they're, I can't remember in the, the Red West or the Red South division, but a lot of these schools, they would show up and like, you, you go to play them and you're like, wow, these guys are tiny. Like they're all like, you know, five, nine, six foot, six foot one. And then you'd start playing them and they would probably like press and they could all jump out of the gym. They all had awesome handles. They had one or two guys who were just like crazy shooters. And you would just get run out of the gym by the teams like this. And so Dunbar started doing that to this team uh, at the uh, Provides the West Holiday Tournament in 1996. And so maybe this was probably maybe like eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. No, I guess it was only eight minute quarter. So like six minutes left in the fourth quarter, maybe. Someone missed a shot on Dunbar. And these two little, like, 5'11 dudes both jump at the same time, both grab the ball on the offensive rebound, and both tip dunk it at the same time, grabbing the rim at the same time, breaking the backboard. And there was, like, a 45-minute delay. <laughs> That's amazing. Before they were, I was shocked that they actually had, like, another replacement backboard available at just this high school gym in Chicago. It was the last game of the night. It was, you know, it was, like, the first round of this tournament or something. I swear to God, this really happened. It was, like, I've never seen anything. That, and it was, like, these two, like, 5'11 dudes. It was insane. Like, and, and you know, they probably all both weighed, like, a buck 30. <laughs> and they just both got up. They, they double tip dunked and broke the backboard. I'll never see anything like that again in my entire life and i just happen to be there for it i've never heard of that happening before it was insane um all right i i will switch now here actually let's, let's take another quick break and then uh got a few more categories i wanted to get to here Th this has been fun actually I'm, I'm actually in a much better mood as we're doing this ah the sweet sound of sports you love from sling the collide of football pads the squeak of shoes on a basketball court the crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All 
all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. All right. This is my own personal best basketball moment. Um. For those who don't know, I was a very spindly high school. I didn't really start working out at all until I got to college. I couldn't really jump. I had like a decent skill level, 6'6", but you know, I wasn't really like able to dunk very well or anything. But when I got to college, I started working out more. I filled out and I was actually like a pretty good pickup player. I mean, you know, I'd play basketball with like the Tulane basketball team every once in a while. I wasn't even anywhere close to as good as those guys, but... um I remember I played a game of one-on-one against uh, Linton Johnson, who was a future NBA player, and he beat me like 11-1. to uh, It was make-it-take-it, though. If it had been losers outs, I might have got it up to like 11-3 to or 11-4. to uh, But I think I got maybe like three possessions in the whole game as he just like completely destroyed me. But I was playing this pickup game, and this girl that I was like friends with and really into just was at the gym, and she like started watching the game. And of course that like really rubbed me up so i'm like sprinting the floor i'm going after every rebound like pressuring up on defense blocking all these shots and finally someone missed a layup and you know if sometimes when you're going for a tip it's almost better if the ball only hits the backboard because then you can tip dunk it a lot easier and i shouldn't use present tense because i can't do that anymore now but i was someone missed a layup and I just tip dunked it on like two dudes. It was awesome. It was like the best dunk I've ever had in my life. Two hands just like crushed it on them, like hanging from the rim. I like come down, look over towards the sideline and the girl is gone. She'd left like, like 30 seconds earlier. That's hilarious. <laughs> and, and, uh, so, and then like some of the dudes who like, you know, I knew him pretty well and they'd like seen me like say hello to her earlier and they saw me look over there. I ah, don't worry, man. We, we'll make sure we tell her about it. <laughs> it was great. And, uh, I don't think they ever saw her to tell her about it. So. <laughs> and, uh, long story short, uh, I did not ever, uh, get anywhere with that girl, but it, it was, uh, she certainly motivated me to have like the best play that I ever had on a basketball court. There you go. <laughs> For for me, oh, I know what this is. This is this is when I no, uh, it is I not. fed you fed you for the game winning layup at, is, at the uh, the the pickup game at Nike. It is, it is no? not. Um, no, I, no. I, I was I I was being so that was the, I, I I might bring that up in a different part of it. Um, <laughs> but 
but the uh, I would say so. I think it was in middle school. We had a we had this homeroom tournament. I don't know if other schools do this. Where so basically for a I think it was like a few weeks during lunch. You know you play, but it's not by. T- teams or anything like that it's just by by where you happen to have your homeroom or like whatever class that was and my team was okay like we weren't great and we were going up against this team of like actual basketball players you know played in the the i was probably the church league or something that that they played in and i was small like i mean i was the i think i was like the third shortest person in my middle school graduating class of 300 people 400 people and for whatever reason i actually had a pretty decent jump shot then even though i wasn't like playing organized or anything like that and we i hit like i want to say it was like five or six middle school threes on them and we won the game and then we i mean so so it was like one of those like and like like half of the seventh grade class was around because they're like nothing else to do it's a middle school lunch recess and so like that was actually pretty cool um we ended up getting our asses kicked in the next game but that didn't matter um so it was it was a really cool moment um and like it was also weird because as somebody who played a sport that was on weekends and like never really i played in school leagues in high school and stuff the idea of playing in front of that big an audience was also unusual for me and that was kind of cool yeah wow i uh your your shooting stroke might have deteriorated a little oh yeah it's middle school oh oh just a little bit (laughs) just just like my athleticism um your favorite team ever to watch obviously biased because i got to see it so much in person but the 15 16 warriors the 73 win team the yeah i mean sorry to be boring i'm picking the same yeah i mean they're because every game just meant so much well not only did every game mean so much but for those who who remember that season whether you were local or just national almost every single game was entertaining it wasn't like some of the other warriors teams where they just half their games were steamrolls no they they seemed like they would go down a lot and they would go down you know like 10 points or whatever and then they would um they would come back you know they would do that a lot against and they would come back against bad teams they would come back against good teams and also yeah, I that- remember uh, the first game I remember was the the comeback they had against the Clippers from down maybe like 12 or five minutes ago and I remember Bob Vulgaris who obviously I, I respect a ton saying like because they went to the death line he's like this is the greatest lineup I've ever seen yeah and I was like yeah that's, that's, I mean that's that's really how well they were playing at the time well and, and then also when you talk about that team then you also get the whole playoff run and that includes that Oklahoma City series which is one of the most memorable I have ever seen and yeah we'll I mean just imagine the, the drama of Steph Curry is out then he comes back then he sprains his MCL and it's like they might just lose in the second round to the Clippers and then the Clippers had all these injuries as well they, they had, but they're still thought they might even lose well, to that like Portland series was, that yeah. Portland series was really interesting like that was the that's the case in point for people who want to argue that Clay Thompson could have been a much a much better like better player with not better in terms of efficiency yeah. but overall you know stuff if he had been put in that circumstance Draymond was also phenomenal in that series and then yeah I mean the Houston Houston, OKC, everything else. Like it was, it was a, a really remarkable run, and the backdrop of the potential of overhauling the team and everything else. Like that was, it was there. I mean, I you know, it was, but it wasn't. It you know it was it was kind of in the background. And remember, the other huge storyline that season was Steve Kerr. Like I mean, they had that huge run when he's when he's dealing with back surgery, which I mean, it sounds like it was botched back surgery. And Luke Walton is the interim head coach. I mean, they still had a lot of the infrastructure in place, and it was, but it's this champion who was a surprising to some people champion 
season, and then they just come off come off of that with this just demolition derby. It was incredible. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that they ended up losing in the end after all the incredible comebacks that they made. Um, well, and it's, as a quick yeah. aside, there, I do think that it's there's something of, kind of a fun weird parallel that the greatest regular season team of all time in both football and basketball didn't win the championship that year, and that's the way yeah. it is. Uh, no, that's uh, the, the so I, I picked them. My other one would be the Nash Suns, where I actually happen to live in Arizona for that time. So like those those teams, especially the 05 team, especially like with Stoudemire and Joe Johnson. Uh, 07 was awesome. 2010 was awesome as well. Um, even the 2016 team I mean, had just an unbelievably fun playoff run, even though they probably were never really a championship threat because they didn't have Stoudemire but and and Joe Johnson um and then obviously the 90s Bulls be there so I mean I like I'm so lucky to have lived in Chicago in the 90s Arizona during the Nash years and then the Warriors during these years I mean that's like pretty incredible uh and then you know I had to watch this year's Warriors team as as my penance um I'm gonna close with this one you can go first here just your favorite memory related to basketball just any type whatsoever uh i mean there are there are a lot of different options here i i think that for me the the communal experience of, of going to those early ucla games in person and then being with the same people as the team actually got good like that was you know so like for example the the final four game that we won i mentioned this before in indianapolis i was with some of my closest friends right off the floor and then we were staying at our, our another friends of ours apartment and so it was like that that sense of community and camaraderie and we were all just just so we were all so happy and and that I, I would say you know more so than my experiences on the court though you know I had some that were that were totally fine uh that were great um but for me that that sense you know for the fan experience and it's it's funny considering you know kind of how separated we are to an extent from that now but yeah I would say yeah just that that being there for so many great moments um for that that run of, of primarily those three years for me I I went to an elementary school called uh Lincoln School and the first year that I actually started playing any kind of competitive basketball was fourth grade and so I my parents are divorced my dad lived in Chicago this is uh, the school is in Evanston and so once a week he would come up and pick up uh, my sister and I and have dinner with us and then drop us off at our mom so uh, I went to this daycare until like 6 p.m so you know someone would be taking care of me until my parents would come and pick me up and so he met me there you know we were just like playing in the gym or something it was emptying out and so we were just like shooting around a little bit and I was just like shooting layups on the left side of the floor left side of the basket with my right hand and he's like all right son like I'm going to teach you how to shoot with your left hand and we're not leaving here until you can make you know five left-handed layups in a row and so I was like, no, like, it's too hard. Like, to, you know, I mean, I was like, didn't know how to use my other hand. I just did like what was natural. Right hand, it's a lot easier. When I played soccer, it was the same thing. Like, I couldn't do anything with my left foot. And so he was like, no, like, you're just, you're just going to do this. And like, try it for 10 minutes until you can get it. And like, this is like, because my dad's a lot shorter. I mean, he played, you know, just was a pickup player for a long time. But he was like, yeah, like, you're, nobody knew I was going to be like 6'6". Six, six. And I was like, you're going to need this if you want to actually be good. And so he's like, right, you're going to dribble in with your left hand. You're going to shoot a left hand layup off your right foot. And you're going to do that until you make five in a row. And I was just, I was almost like ready to just like start crying at the time. It was like so hard. And I thought we were going to be there forever. And then 
you know, after like 10 minutes of practice, I started getting it. And I finally made five in a row. And then we, he took me to McDonald's where he put salt on his hamburger because that's what Phil Duncan did at the time. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's still like one of my favorite memories with my dad, like that we uh, have always bonded over. I've always had like a pretty good left hand ever since then because he just like drilled into me like, no, you like, you need to be able to do this uh, with both hands. So that that's like maybe my fondest basketball memory. And it was just, it was the first time that, I ever like got better that I wasn't just like oh I'm just gonna dribble around and this is just what I do and I, cause I was like a pretty coordinated I was like one of the better kids in my grade at sports nothing amazing but it was like no you can actually work at this and you can get better like it's possible it's really like the one of the first times in my life I ever like actually overcame something hard and like got better at something so that was uh that's that's my favorite basketball memory so I think we can uh, close it on that I I hope you guys enjoyed this I hope it wasn't too meta about us but i i enjoyed it at least i i had a good time i don't, I don't know about you danny but it was, i did it was, Ab- I, absolutely I, yeah I, I, it was a good bit of escapism for me i i feel a bit better about things um all right we will uh talk to you tomorrow actually we didn't really get a chance to do you know a full episode the way you wanted to last night i didn't think it was really appropriate with some of the news that came out so tomorrow we are actually going to catch up on our over under predictions for the season and see where we went wrong we'll have to figure out exactly how we're going to extrapolate the records out obviously um but it's just a good way to go back and look at our preseason predictions uh which we'll probably talk about as well so we'll uh talk to you tomorrow till then so after thinking about it a little more that that was a fun way to escape for a little while i do want to talk just a little bit about the coronavirus stuff just in general if this is too preachy for you i totally understand if you don't want to hear it from me about this topic i totally understand if you were trying to listen to this pod for just a way to unwind a little bit and not think about this i totally understand that as well but as i've been saying on twitter i do think it's important to try to take this opportunity to marshal whoever i can to the extent that i can to just help minimize the effect of this crisis and i don't think i've talked about this before on the show but basically most episodes who knows how many listen to this one but most episodes we get between 30 and 50,000 listens so that's not a huge number obviously but what i want to encourage is just that all of you do as much as you can to the extent that you think it's appropriate to help get others to do the social distancing and the other recommended mitigations to prevent the spread of this virus as much as we can. And I've been thinking a lot about how people talk all the time about viral videos. And yeah, virus is where it comes from. It's it's called viral because it spreads incredibly fast. And so to beat this virus, we have to make our countermeasures just as viral. So my suggestion to you guys is to the extent that you can, the extent you think it's appropriate, socially distance as much as you can. Don't leave your house unless it's absolutely necessary. I'm not really at risk for this, but I'm not planning on going anywhere. I don't have to for my job. There are some people who don't have that luxury or who are doing essential things. And so to the amount that we can avoid transmitting this disease, even if we personally are at relatively low risk, which may not be the case, we don't know that much about this yet. I think we need to try and stay home. And when I'm talking about viral, my suggestion is if there's 30 to 50,000 people who listen to this podcast, all of you, please just resolve to text 10 people that you think 
could use some advice on the best practices who aren't necessarily doing as much social distancing as they could and encourage them to do the same if you can convince them or maybe encourage people that you know are already doing it to try to reach out to their friends and family as well. So whether it's your bosses, your employees, your friends, your family, uh, I think we all need to talk about what we can do together to stay apart from one another. Um, I've been having a lot of conversations online with people about this, a lot of conversations offline. I've been texting or calling basically everyone I know. And just, I mean, you can always just start off by asking, Hey, you know, how are you doing? You know, what have you guys been doing to avoid spreading this around? And I think the important thing to me, I mean, I've seen a lot of comments and it does seem incredible to a lot of people that like, you know, there's some people like, Oh no, this thing is, is that, isn't that bad? It's the flu. And yeah, no, that is incorrect, obviously. But let's not forget where we all were, right? Like, was I saying any of this stuff four days ago? You know, it really, uh, there was a friend who got in touch with me on Sunday night and was like, Hey, you need to start really taking this seriously. And I think we all need to be that person for someone else if we can. And I think it's definitely, you know, people are starting to understand now in a way that they didn't five days ago. But for those who don't, let's remember, like, they aren't monsters because we were all in that position as well. There were people telling us this stuff two weeks ago and we weren't listening. So try not to be mean to the people that you're trying to convince, whether it's online, whether it's in person. I think a good way of persuading people is to just say where you were, say that you weren't necessarily taking it seriously as you should have been and explain what it was that convinced you, whether it's research, whether it's the risk to your family. I mean, there are many powerful arguments about this and maybe I'll try and put something together in the coming days of like the best way to try and convince people of this stuff that I've found because I've had a lot of conversations and you know what, like got to kind of be willing for people to think that you're a little bit of an asshole it might be people who are like yeah we're doing everything like you should know that i would be doing everything like don't tell me this okay good like it's good that you checked in or there's people who just uh, don't want to listen to you there people may be annoyed with you but i like i'm willing to pay that social cost there are probably a lot of people making fun of me like oh you're a basketball writer like why are you talking about this why are you trying to tweet about this and like i'm willing to pay the price of people thinking that about me if it can get the word out and you know it's not necessarily experts like people aren't plugged into experts like ideas are viral in our society just as much as viruses are and so the more you can make it seem normal to all the people in your life that social distancing i think people have kind of got it on the hand washing now but that's that too closing down businesses where really you know things are going to get transmitted and yeah i certainly feel for the workers in those businesses but the reality is we're probably going to be at the point where everything is going to have to close down because there's either a case associated with the business or there's just a straight up mandate to close from the authorities within about a week or so anyway so maybe it's better to get ahead of that and close now and not have another week of exposure to people especially if you're it's a business where a lot of people come in and out or you're in close quarters um and the last thing i'd say is you know, people aren't going to change their minds on this immediately. You know, they need to hear it more than once. Like, especially if you're having a conversation with someone, people, you, you can't expect people to just snap their fingers and go from, all right, I'm just going to live my normal life. This thing isn't that big of a deal to, okay, I really need to be taking this seriously. Like it, it takes a while. People have to hear that from a lot of different sources before their minds get changed. So I would love to hear from you guys on Twitter of just, you know, some of the stuff that you're doing. I'm sure we can talk about it on future episodes. And let's just all try and make a difference to the extent that we can. 
because I think the reality is with some of the re- response or lack thereof from the authorities, like it is on us. We're just going to have to do a better job as a society. And I hope that the community of this podcast, such as it is, can help affect some change. So again, you know, to the extent you can, maybe even it makes you a little uncomfortable, get in touch with 10 people in your life and try as best you can to encourage them to do what needs to be done. And obviously we'll all try and do that to the extent that we can as well, especially because there are a lot of people who don't have the luxury of potentially withdrawing from society to the extent that, you know, I think many of us can. All right, so we'll talk to you next time. Hope this wasn't too preachy, but... I think you'll note that I've never, ever done something like this before on any issue, but this is important enough that I wouldn't feel right if I didn't at least try to get the word out as much as I could. Talk to you all next time. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.